0: This is the PropTech VC podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content.
1: And David, let me me highlight that for a second. Today, as a venture capitalist, I get pitched every variation of the Redfin model. And it just seems like such an obvious idea. And looking back in history, everything looks obvious. You say this is a crazy idea, but it sounds obvious to us right now. Why was it crazy? Because it was hard to build and develop? Or because the concept of having some, like a website where you go and browse.
0: (laughs) Three key problems, right? One was the first one that you just said, which is the concept of a website, that someone's going to use a website to make a multi hundred thousand dollar decision was, Not accepted at the time. Number two, no one had built any technology like this before. So we were taking on technology risk. Like, let me just zoom you back. The mapping at the time was, was MapQuest and Yahoo Maps where you would click on a map and then you would click an arrow. I want to go to the left, you know, the north, south, east, west. And then you would wait 20 seconds while a new map loaded and it would show you one. The idea of an interactive map all by itself was a one-zero exponential risk for any investor. And then number three, no one had proven that you could use user experience as a differentiator to create a business. So we had three major problems. And, uh, you know, again, now in retrospect, they're obvious. Uh, I love this article. I keep it in my office. I don't usually have it that close at hand, but I I had just been looking at it because I've been talking to my team at Deep Sentinel about how important user experience is. But when we launched um, the title, I'm holding up the article to, the title was a sit down fly by real estate overview. They didn't even know the term interactive map. They didn't know what to, to call it. No one had built an interactive website where you transacted and-
1: There's an entire industry around GIS, you know, Geographical Information Systems and it's oh. just a few lines of code and you can have an interactive map and you can use Mapbox or any other technology to, to do wonderful things with maps.
0: We had to build all of that from scratch. We literally wrote an engine in flash to do this. We had to write a map image splicer. We bought raw satellite data. We, we spliced it into pyramids. We had to reassemble it, right? We did everything from scratch that no one had ever done anything like this. And what's cool about it, right? You're talking about it being an in industry now, was that that was so inspirational to people. The very first day we launched this, we had that article written about us in the Seattle Times. It was picked up by a couple of trade rags nationally. We went from no one knowing what Redfin was, literally, you know, our friends and family, and they told us we were crazy. We had 400 1,000 unique visitors in the first 24 hours Redfin launched. Our ISP, the internet service provider for us, shut down Redfin for about 20 minutes because they told us that there's no way that traffic spike is due to anything. But porn like it, you guys are running a porn site we get it it's cool lots of people try to trick us and we're like no dude i promise it's not porn it's it's not porn i promise <laughs> and um and they were like no dude we get it like we have we've only seen this pattern a million times we know what you're doing and, and michael doherty he got on the phone with him and he's like no please can you come to our office i'll show you i'll show you what we're doing and they it, that's literally what it took for them to turn us back on and they, and they turned us back on and we, we took off but it was it was like this user experience um magical moment. I, I lived about four blocks from our, our office at um, at Redfin, and on the way to work, I used to stop at this uh, coffee shop called Café Ladro in Seattle. It's a super snobby Seattle thing to say. So, you know, I was in Seattle, so you can do that thing. So I go to Café Ladro every morning, and, and I get this mocha. And I turned around as I was in line, and I realized nobody's reading a book. Everybody has a laptop out. And I, you know, maybe a little bit uncouth, right? But I looked at everyone's laptop screen to see what people were looking at. And I was blown the heck away. I just woke it up. It's like 7 in the morning. I still haven't had my coffee, obviously. Every single laptop had Redfin on it. Every single person in this coffee shop, you know, sample size of one. I launched the thing at midnight. It'll <clears throat> pushed go on the Apache server. And then go to coffee at 7 in the morning when I wake up. And everyone's looking at Redfin. I go to the Starbucks between my, my apartment and the office. Everyone in Starbucks is doing the same thing. It was that kind of revolutionary of a user experience.
1: It's a real feeling, right? When you <coughs> pinch yourself wondering if you're dreaming. I had a very similar experience I founded an advertising company. And I was on a trip to Japan where we had set up an office and we focused on user experience too. I was in the plane and I was thinking I was going to the toilet and I just remember looking and I'm like, oh, there's someone playing a game on, on the plane, um, there's my ad. Oh, nice. Oh wait, there's my ad too. This guy's connected to Wi-Fi. Oh my God, there's another one. And I, you know, it was a surreal moment where you're like, wait a second, I'm stressing out about my Japan trip and people are using my product. People are playing games and clicking on ads. So I know that feeling. It's unbelievable. Of course, it's not an overnight thing. Um, I guess in your case, it was an overnight thing though, right?
0: Yeah, that, that's the thing a lot of people don't know about Redfin is it, it, it literally redefines kind of the speed of in internet user experience, uh, from zero to four hundred thousand in less than twenty-four hours. Uh, it really, I mean, crazy. And and the other crazy thing is, I think back on just I'll, I'll, I'll appeal to some of the geeks out there. The whole website, all of this stuff, ran on a Dell twenty-six fifty and a Dell sixteen fifty. Um, those are that's a two U and a one U server. We had no redundancy, no backup, like no server pool. It was literally, we designed it, we engineered the living heck out of this thing so that it could scale, to handle that much traffic on two pieces of iron. Um, this was before cloud, it was before AWS, right? Like that was, you know, AWS came out of the team that I was on um, at Amazon under Udi Miember, uh, you know, a, a, a couple of years later. We're um, actually at the, at the same time, but the AWS services that we're familiar with, S3 and and, uh, and, and EC2, those came out a, a year or two, two later. And, but, but Redfin was just an amazing experience in terms of, everything about what one little group of people could do to change the trajectory that that to me was mind-boggling i remember um about a year and a half later um there was a presentation of interactive maps based on what we built at redfin not not not, no credit to redfin necessarily but like no one else had done it so i'm gonna kind of assume some credit here but that ultimately became the inspiration for steve jobs to make multi-touch interactive screens on the iphone so the fact that this group of you know 15 guys that just stayed up late for a year building this thing could ultimately directly be the inspiration for all the mapping products, and then ultimately the inspiration for all this other stuff, that opened my eye to what entrepreneurship really can be, uh, in, in that it's this kernel, and truly a kernel of a snowball that becomes the influence of the entire world and people's daily experience. You know, I love now I can tell my kids when they open up their iPads and their iPhones and they open up a mapping application, like I'm part of that story. I'm not I'm, I'm not the headline in that story necessarily, but I, I'm a really important step that without that step, the story wouldn't have progressed.
1: D- David, it's looking back, it feels a bit like your timing was impeccable. Stanford at the right time you know you were involved in the dot com craziness amazon yeah. redfin uh it sounds like only opportunities back then were this good where you could find arbitrages where you can buy users at a dollar <laughs> uh, you know yeah. where you can go from zero to four hundred thousand unique visitors um do you agree do you feel like the heyday of innovation was back then where it really was a wild, wild west uh do you feel like opportunities like that exist today or or those days were special and that was like the most you know in, inflection point possible for technology
0: i mean you could certainly make a case for that but i mean if you happen to own solana for the last 12 months you'd say no right if you happen to start solana 14 months ago and you're now worth over 100 billion dollars but nobody really knows how or why or whatever and not, not hundred billion. i think it's like 20 billion but like you know no right i mean what what every time that we say that was the heyday of innovation and the fastest that things could change we're proven wrong and i think that's why we see all these mega funds coming up right now and why it you know i think this is a problem by the way but but that's why vc has gone into this mode where it's really seed funding where i'll give you a couple hundred thousand to to five million bucks and then you got to get to a billion dollar valuation and and the whole game from a finance funding perspective right now is i'm going to spread out 40 investments really early and then just see what sticks and gets to the next phase and that next phase leap is so big but but if you think about it from a from a finance civ perspective that wouldn't be able to be possible if it weren't possible to take five million dollars and build a billion dollar company and so that's why vc is so focused on 5 million to 100 million right now is because it fundamentally is possible to do that and and I think that's actually it's again it's a great thing for VCs it's a neat thing for budding entrepreneurs. And it's a really frustrating thing for great entrepreneurs, maybe not one in a trillion entrepreneurs, but great entrepreneurs that are at like 50 million or $150 million valuations. There's a big hole in the market right now for companies that are kind of at that stage.
1: And I think you alluded to the technological (coughs) challenges just to launch an experience in the old early days of web one, web two. Uh, it was very hard today you have these no code platforms you can plug and play things rather than even investing in product you can invest in distribution and just build your basic concept out with you know third-party software so in some ways, it's fast and easier to go from zero to, you know.
0: You know, I mean, like like, like look at apes, right? Like for, for the love of God, right? There's a hundred different platforms that look like that. You don't know which one it's going to be necessarily, but that one took off, right? And so-
1: your, your Club here, the uh, NFT.
0: The NFT, sorry. So NFTs and crypto doodles are another NFT, right? Like, and there, and there are 20 others that didn't succeed. And, and, and none of them really required a huge amount of investment. And so the one thing that I don't like as an entrepreneur is is that the, the financial model looks a lot more like gambling, high risk, High reward gambling than it does like the grit and energy of a of hard work results in a great outcome. And, and, you know, again, like this is a little bit of a, a, a metaphysical debate here. Is that good or is that bad? Has that ever been the case? You know, luck is always involved, right? Like you ask the question, hey, you were born at this time where you got the first com and then, you know, all this other stuff and, and luck is always involved. And, and, and I think anybody who takes credit for their success is an a-hole, anybody who takes credit for 100 credit for their success they're just a straight up able because it is luck right Like i have asthma let's let me just like make it super blunt and clear had i been born a hundred years ago i would have died in my infancy period full stop really right? like, luck is involved
1: in that context we've all won the birth lottery especially if we have yeah. viewers listening to this in, in the western world where the problems are very different than you know for, for i would not even say unlucky because that's, that assumes the probability is minimal. We are the lucky ones.
0: The lucky sub one percenters, right? Like we had this whole debate in America about the one percenters. And, and, and it's not to say that's not a real debate, right? But if you zoom back a little bit and you just say, of all the population of the world, in its history, people that are alive now live a better quality of life than ever before. And then you zoom back and you, and, and you look at it from a geographic perspective. If you eat three square meals a day and, and you rent a car or own a car and you go to a job and that pays for that, you're in the top 1%.
1: Even if you're listening to this podcast, you're working on yourself, self-actualization. <laughs> There's other <all> people <laughs> yeah. who don't even have that luxury. You know, they they just need to, they, they have no time. They are burnt out, they're working, you know, hard just to make ends meet and and
0: and that's not to say that entrepreneurs don't work hard right that's not to say that during the heyday of uh, of mark zuckerberg's time at facebook and he's a little bit on the outs right now he didn't work hard i'm not saying that that's not a part of the journey but it's it's a necessary or or frequently necessary component but it's not sufficient luck is a much more important component of success now than i think it ever has been and and i and i
1: of course, I think, I think there is such a thing as improving your ROI on luck, being around the Absolutely. right people, uh, you, you. having platforms like Stanford or Amazon, uh, paying an interest in these areas is going to expose you to opportunities, which means your average bat eventually will increase. Mm-hmm. If you're at this, I feel like if you're, if you're at being an entrepreneur for like a decade or two, you're going to hit it big eventually. You know, as long as you know when to move on to the next thing because it's not working. A couple of years of each well, thing. That's-
0: that's the thing, right? Like that's the hard question now because actually, again, if you, if you statistically run this out, right? Your best bet to become a multi-millionaire, multi-hundred millionaire right now, I think is to try things, give them six to 12 months max. And if they're not in the on the path to becoming a billion dollar company, bam. I'm, I'm, I'm just speaking purely like statistically.
1: But it's unconventional because we, and I believe too, success comes right before failure or, or, or rather right before you feel like things are about to end. At that point, when you're about to throw in the towel, you keep going for it, going for it, and eventually you hit it. But what you're saying is a different perspective and I, I think in today's day and age, it's true. And I think that's also why there's so much pressure from VCs to founders. They want that very quick exponential high growth curve. You can have a company doing millions in dollars in revenue, but if its growth curve isn't looking exponential, um, no one's interested. And you know, that next funded competitor comes along who goes from zero to hundred quickly. And it's that addiction because people have seen so much enormous wealth being generated so quickly. We've never before seen so many unicorns and so many billionaires being minted.
0: Yeah, unicorns actually used to be unicorns. Right, I mean, and, and that, that's where that's, in fact, there was a book, uh, I think it's Malcolm Gladwell's Black Swan, right? That, that was uh, the first kind of attempt to describe this. Uh, and what we've created is an industry that kind of pumps those things out now. Um, and, and, I, and I like that, right? Like there's, there's some really interesting things about that. At the same time, I've had to make the decision for me personally, right? Like well, I'll, I'll pivot to Deep Sentinel for a moment here. Um, Deep Sentinel hasn't been an easy journey. Deep Sentinel's been a four year grind it hard journey. And what's really unique about Deep Sentinel though, is, and, and I hope this is kind of an inspiration people, is after grinding it out, we did hit that inflection curve. Like we did hit that exponential growth curve, but it was it was unique, right? And, and, I, and I don't think any of our investors would have said, hey, you're a jerk for walking away from this. And that's one of the challenges for me. Deep Sentinel isn't a wealth creating business. It, it, it is, right? Like I want to make money and I'm motivated by that. Deep Sentinel is a mission. Deep Sentinel is a security company that provides safety to families and and business owners. And that to me, I chose that as much because I saw it as a huge market opportunity as because when I look at my kids, I've made enough money, thank goodness in my life that that I could kind of peter out and stop now if I wanted to. And I had the freedom to choose something that i want to be my legacy and the the problem with that is that that doesn't interface incredibly well with that financial market that i just shared with you um we're very fortunate that we you know we went from a couple of 2x uh, growth years to this year is going to be three to 4X growth. And, and that's what it's going to take for us to really make that next big leap in terms of venture capital. That's the, that's the thing that the venture capitalists are looking for. You know, we're at, we're already at over 5 million in revenue, but what it took was that combination of over 5 million in revenue and a 3X, 4X year. That's really the combination that, that investors are waiting for to kind of pile in, but that didn't come easily. Right. And, and, and I think if I were just to be optimizing financially, I think the world would have lost because what Deep Sentinel does, no one else does. It's really hard it's, um, and it's really meaningful. And, and that's, again, it's a little bit of a metaphysical debate, but, but that's one of the challenges I see in the world right now.